0: Having a Gas is the podcast that chats to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for cooking to, for dancing to, f**king to, and more. Today, I'm having a gas with Ben Sainsbury, the CEO of Marion Surgical. Whilst today, Ben's business provides surgical training using revolutionary VR technology, in a past life, Ben was a Hollywood filmmaker working with Peter Dinklage on his first feature, Jailbait. I thought it would be a uh, good to start by uh, getting a, an overview of uh, who you are and what you're doing here. As in, I know that you're originally from uh, Canada, but you moved over to the UK. Uh, so tell us what you do and why you do it.
1: Yeah, so I moved to the UK uh, December uh, of 2019. And uh, my company, Marion Surgical, we're building virtual reality surgical simulation. Um, so we came over to get with the NHS and also uh, we happened to get an Innovate uh, UK grant to work on a pre-visualization tools for video games and movies. So basically how to plan out your, your movies in VR before you go and shoot single frame of,
0: of film. These, so these are two uh, pretty different marketplaces uh, in terms of trying to get through to the NHS, but also try and get through to effectively motion picture feature film, uh, is the thing that binds them together so your passion for virtual reality?
1: It's the passion for virtual reality, but actually um, one of the things we're doing with the simulation uh, for for um, surgical is to basically define what a expert user is on, on the surgical simulation. So we've got this uh, really detailed haptics, really realistic haptics. So when a surgeon uses the tool, it gives a line, so we we're able to determine between expert and non-expert users. And that same line that we're using is, is used for mocap for the virtual reality surgical or the, the virtual reality uh, film previs tool. So, so we, uh, being, oh, go ahead.
0: Are these two things feeding into each other then, you know, so one marketplace informs the other.
1: Yeah. So both of the R and D that the tool translates to both.
0: No, that's really cool. What's a, uh, what got you into VR training for for the medical community?
1: So I came from a film background. I went to USC. I got a master's uh, at, at University of Southern California, uh, working on screenplays, et cetera. And um, when the first virtual reality headset came out, uh, which would have been, what, 2011, 2012, I bought the, the, uh, the VR uh, Mach 1 of the Oculus and just thought it was really cool and just um, you know, thought it was an extension of kind of open world kind of the type of video games i like those world games where you can kind of just explore another another dimension uh, really appealed to me so um, i started working on computer science and uh, uh, I, w- I wanted a b to b solution just because it's so tough to crack a b to c solution so i wanted a, a product that could be sold to businesses so i built a cardiac stent uh, prototype um, and showed it to a surgeon and he encouraged me to uh, get into urology so my partner and i we set up the company and started working on scratching his itch which is a, a tool to help teach uh, urology and that it's just kind of expanded from there
0: so I was, I was interested to pick up on you said it's much much harder to sell directly to the consumer as opposed to businesses so to an idiot like me why is that
1: uh, well, so when we're selling uh, the surgical simulator, it's a much higher price uh, point. We're selling to hospitals. I have experience selling to businesses. So uh, along the way, I used to sell engineering software to, uh, to hospitals, so I kind of know how to, how to do that. And uh, longer sales cycle, but uh, more loyal customers, they have deeper pockets um, and they're willing to, to spend on R&D. B to C, you know. Uh, one time, I made a prototype uh, of a game, put it on Steam, which is the marketplace for video games. Charged a dollar, uh, just a nominal sum, and uh, and some, you know, gamer somewhere in the states. Uh, I didn't respond to his uh, his email in eight eight, eight, eight eight in eight hours, so he wrote this huge, uh, you know, uh, sc- scathing, uh, rep- you know, that kind of thing. So. It's like really, dude. You spent a buck on this, and uh, you're going to give me a hard time. So that's what I mean. That's the difference between the two. It's it's like one of my mentors in uh, in Hollywood once said, um, in, on the mo- in terms of the movie business, um, you can make a killing, but you can't make a living. So that's the brilliant. idea there is, you know, it's a hit business. If you have a hit, then everything's great. If you don't, then <laughs> you got to find another way to make money.
0: And who who? Um, yeah, because. Uh- you hear about nominal sums paid for screenplays uh, for first-time writers that are in the tens of thousands. You know, I mean, we're talking the rare one-in-a-million legend uh, story like Tarantino sells Reservoir Dogs to whoever. And it's like, I don't know, Tens of thousands or a few hundred grand. And so that gets young people's kind of twitching and go, Well, I could make that much money in one go. But effectively that's what you're saying is the wisdom in Hollywood is it's in one go and that's your lot usually.
1: Or or it's the the one go is hard to get because I think once you get the one go, then you more work will follow. Yeah. But the trick is to get that one. So you gotta figure out what you're gonna do while you're waiting for the, the hit.
0: So let's go back to your time in Hollywood, because that was your life, wasn't it? You were waiting for the hit. That's right. Yeah. So, so for people who don't know you, um, what what was what were you doing in Hollywood, and what was the project? And you know, te- take us through the 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 absolute graft that you were going through to try and get the project over the line.
1: Yeah. So the project you're talking about is Jailbait, which was a movie that I um, I wrote in a screenplay class that was taught by Stephen Mazur, who wrote Liar Liar, and um, basically he. Um, you know encouraged us to have something that was a uh, high concept so that was that was my high concept movie so at the time uh, yeah it was um living the hollywood life going to parties pitching always pitching um you know um hustling um you know i did cross paths with a few uh with a few rock rock people and hangers-ons and you know that kind of thing and um you know doing whatever it takes to to get the movie made, but at some point you just cut it off and <laughs> you got you to figure out another, another way.
0: What was that moment for you?
1: Moment for me, there was one time where I had, you know, basically there was a musician that was going, that had a lot of uh, money from his family business. Uh, and he wanted to basically we we were talking about his band being showcased in the movie as a way to kind of promote his band, and that was the co- kind of prid, quid pro quo for putting up the movie, the money for the movie. And I remember going to a party, and um, he really wanted at the time. Uh, he was he so his they they have a thing in in Hollywood called pay for play, and pay for plays were basically a band pays to be on a bill to play music at a club, but for the outside observer, it looks like, you know, you're hired to play in the in, at, at that night at the gig, like it's a gig, but you're really paying for the gig. And I think it was um, Motley Crue that he was really into and Motley Crue or the lead singer of Motley Crue and one of his side bands was gonna play. And so he was trying to get Motley Crue to this party. And I was looking around and I'm just like, you know, it just it felt like at the time it was just like uh, I sort of hit rock bottom with all of these sort of people that were just hanging around to kind of, you know, sponge off of stuff, me being one of them. And I was like, you know what, this isn't happening. This is all you, you know, this scene. Um, I got to get out of here because this is, this is too much, you know. And and then the, old, the whole thing with like, you know, I was there for the last, I've had a couple of goes at uh, being in Hollywood, and the last, that particular period of time was about six years. And like, you go to restaurants and stuff, and it's like a cycle of people that come in. Like, it's like, it's like all the best looking people from the world that maybe have a, that, that, that are troubled, show up in Hollywood, spend two, three years, end up waiting on tables, then they leave, and then there's a new batch. And after a while, you just kind of sit back, and you kind of see this trend and, and uh, you know, I don't know, there's just things like that, where right? the desperado scenario, where the thing is you, you meet people and you're friends with people and you might be with the wrong people, but you can't just, you're, that's sort of your scene. And so uh, I was hanging around with the guy who directed, uh, uh, you know, um, x the movies. Scene and worlds. <laughs> I remember we were in uh, Las Vegas and, uh, and we took mushrooms. And uh, we were at the, uh, at, uh, in Caesar's palace at the little bar scene there. And just, I remember looking around at the, you know, at the the porn stars and there was some basketball people there. And it just looked like, I I just saw like Satan's wings. It just looked, was like a bad trip. I was like, this is, (laughs) this is getting bad. Uh, And then I ended up taking a train back to LA uh, because he ended up, scoring Uh, ron jeremy agreed to be in directed in a movie by him so he couldn't get me a ride back as promised uh so i took the train and just the whole taking the train back from la from from vegas is just like whoa! like i am in a dark dark world and i don't know how to dig myself out except to leave and then maybe come back under a new context
0: yeah which it sounds like is in the pipeline getting on you know getting involved in the cgi side of the world but there's a few there's a few really interesting Uh, images that you conjured up there and one was I'd never considered Hollywood being like a cruise ship where the staff are always different on seasonal shifts so so are you saying you've got all these people who are waiting in the wings i'm gonna be brad pitt i'm gonna be emma stone and of course emma i think it's emma stone is in la la land as a starbucks waitress who becomes a star and so all of them are waiting for that moment and because if they're the one they are going to make it big and they're done but for most of them it's not going to happen
1: that's right and they have an entourage so their entourage gets carried up with them as well so oh yeah a lot of those people have like all these circle of friends that you know hey i was there then and they're the ones that usually spend all their money, you know, hanging around.
0: And So anyway. you, you were on one of these, so you were on these pay to play events and you felt like it was, it was almost as if a mirror, a mirror was held up to you because I think it, if I understood you right, it's, you, it sounded like this guy who's giving me the opportunity is just spending all of his energy this evening to make sure that it looks like it's a legit gig so that this one pair of eyeballs will see it and maybe give him loads of money.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it, and it sounds like it might be happening under the scene, but it's, it's so obvious. It's like you're, if you're at this Hollywood Hills party, as soon as the door opens, everybody stops talking and looks to see, is this person really important that's walking in or okay, no, it we're going to go back to like, it's just <laughs> so uh, transparent how just um, you know, Basic it is, really.
0: You said you end up feeling like you're in a kind of a sea of empty vessels, just like, oh, no one here has their own thing. They're all trying to create the ideal persona for when the producer walks in and goes, "You're the next guy. (laughs) You're the next star." That's right. And I was
1: one of those people, so it wasn't like, like I can say I was a casual, you know, observer, uh, but I felt like at, at at a time that I was one of the wolves on the hill, like just saying, okay. Here comes, you know, Betty Bo Peep off the bus. Like, okay, you know, you start to feel that a little bit, especially with my buddy being in the adult film industry. So you get to, those are, that's even another level lower. So you picture, here's that Hollywood scene we're talking about. There's the hills. And then there's the valley on the other side where it's the same game, but it's, it's, you know, a little bit even more depraved. Where It's like, well, you know, that guy that's coming in to do the scene, he just got released from prison. And here's this, you know, 18, this girl that just turned 18, and, you know, they're having Starbucks cookies about to talk about, you know, they're, they're, they're about to do a scene and you're just like, okay. Wow. And meanwhile, you know, you, you're in, you're in the Valley You're in some house that's been rented and then you open the door and there's people driving to work and it's all normal. And then you go back in and it's like, you know,
0: so. <laughs> so, so, so it was a different life. And, um, while waiting in the wings, we, we as you know, uh, because I know a little bit of the backstory already. We have to go through this. You were you, the star of your film, was one of the star one of the I'll say that again because I got an email interruption. Sure. Uh, the star of your film was one of the stars of tomorrow. It's today's star, Peter Dinklage. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time, he oh, well, I saw him a few times because we filmed my project. So I filmed like. Uh, a bunch of my project over the, over the weekends to put together like a, a demo. Um, so he was in, so I saw him over a, a few periods of time. Um, but the first time he was in a tent inside of a, a house in the Hollywood Hills. I remember I was there, he ordered a vegetarian pizza, a vegetarian and there we were under the Hollywood Hills, but he was living in a tent inside of a, so it was like, you know, he was, you know, um, you know one of the one of the hopefuls and then i the next time he started to get more famous then uh we were one of the uh, most fun was when he had done the station agent and i was introducing him to hannah hall who uh did a few scenes in the movie and she um, was to be the lead uh anyways it was like right about the time where he was about to peak so we were at the uh at the four seasons hotel in hollywood and um you know, there's a bunch of celebrities there because they were about, it was award season and I was at the pool and, you know, there's hobbits swimming in the water and Paul Giamatti walking by and it was like the big scene. And then uh, Paul, uh, Peter Dinklage's brother uh, had rented a uh, Mustang convertible. So we went out and got in the Mustang convertible and as we were driving, he cranks hot for teacher. So, you know, like the beginning of hot for teacher comes on and there's people like literally in the bushes taking pictures. Who's in the front seat? And and we drove out to the beach in Malibu, and I was like, okay, there's things like that that I think only Hollywood can give you an experience, which is, you know, there's a lot of adrenaline. It feels really cool, or or trying to get to the Chateau Marmont with uh, Peter uh, on, on uh, uh, at a party. Marmont, and you know, I pull up with my car.
0: So just uh, I'll have to get you to go back a little bit because I lost you at. Uh, going up to a, uh, the party with Peter and then you froze. Okay.
1: So another time we went to the Chateau Marmont to party with some friends. And as we pull up, I'm driving and they're just like, no, man, like just, it's not your, then they see him. They're like, oh yeah, come on in. Let me ballet. Just the access that, you know, when, you're, when your star is rising, this access opens up to you. Whereas it's a you know flip side of,
0: of that Hollywood scene so you can see why uh, i presume pe- it turns people's head and you know we're very critical of people who get to a certain level and their you know their ego just transforming in a monumental way but you're saying now you saw the other side of that coin and it makes sense when all the doors are locked and then you're the person you are the key code all the doors open just for being you you must feel like a god
1: I think so and you know in fairness like I pitched the movie so Peter was committed but then there came a point where I saw him at another Hollywood party actually it was a Hollywood party I met uh, Meryl Streep and I met Jennifer Jason Lee and there's a bunch of celebrities there but he walked into that party and I was there I was like oh Peter because you know I'm pitching him being in my movie and he just he was on the phone he's just uh, busy I'm busy and just you know gave me like the the Hollywood cruise by wow. like, you know because i think it's like you know i don't want to be a, so i'm now got these big projects that thing sounds like a train wreck i'm not a, attached anymore so i felt like that was another time where i was like you know what probably shouldn't be attaching his name to this project anymore
0: oh wow but, what you mean when it's like i'm now the guy who does the will farrell movie i can't quite be seen to be in student films respectfully
1: yeah that kind of thing or just the jailbait concept was a little bit risky and uh yeah, his star is rising, and there's paid productions, and I don't blame him. I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, for every guy like me, there's maybe, he probably had 10 or, I don't know, guys with hopeful projects where his name's attached. And and frankly, you know, you're using his name to get access. Like, oh, I've got this project here. Yeah, it's another movie. Oh, Peter Dinklage is attached. Oh, yeah. Can you we meet on Tuesday? So all of a sudden, you're you know, getting the 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 gold dust is rubbing off you,
0: yeah, and then you feel
1: yeah. a bit sleazy as well because you're like, you know what? I haven't really talked to him in a few months. I don't even know if he's attached to this thing. So you hope that all of a sudden, you know, at the time Weinstein's like, yeah, we're gonna do your movie. It's a classic, and everybody gives the reinforcement to uh, Dinklage that this is a good project to be in then. Oh yeah, we were, you know, I was attached all along kind of thing, but yeah, there is that sort of risky moment. Cause I did pitch it to, I think I even pitched it to Meryl Streep to a bunch of people, um, that, you know, um, it was another funny thing, just on a side note, there's a band in Canada called the tragically hip, uh, which is a really famous Canadian band. They haven't really broke out. And I don't know if you guys have heard of them in the UK.
0: No, but I'll make it my business to listen to them. (laughs)
1: anyway they're a really great band and the lead singer was a really good guy he died of cancer um but um the drummer was a buddy of my sister's and i went to the tragically hip show in la with my sister and she got us backstage and this guy johnny Faye, uh who's the drummer really cool guy uh he met me in the in the guys where all this hollywood stuff was happening for me and so he you know he it was like in that context and then he has a house in uh, bermuda he was flying to bermuda and i happen to be in a magazine called um, he was flying air canada uh, mclean's which is equivalent you know like a, 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 a it's like a significant magazine like i don't know what the uk is like a time magazine and he was just he pulled it up from the from the uh, from the airplane and was reading and there i was because they did a little profile on my on my movie so he thought in his mind Oh yeah, Ben was the next biggest, you know, because all the context that that we had, you know, met each other. But in reality, I was, uh, you know, basically just a hustler. And then
0: you realise why um, in South Park the Canadians are pictured in a very specific light. You know, it's like the idea that for a second you were the A-list star of Canada. That's right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Lame. I also um, have you uh, before we dive into some music. I know you're a comedy fan, and when you were talking about the um, you know understanding the mindset of of people who become massive stars I don't know have you seen Bill Burr's routine about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tiger Woods and these people who famously are unfaithful with their spouses No I haven't I'll, I'll send you the link it's worth watching but you know the basic message he says is you know if you're like a normal person criticizing that like do you think you've ever faced temptation at that level and you think right. you know you know if you finished, around, if you were Tiger Woods, you think if, you know, uh, in his position, you finished a round of golf and there was a busload of supermodels waiting for you, do you think you'd, uh, you'd go, sorry, guys, got to go home to the wife, you know, Like, and so obviously we're not condoning that kind of marital conduct, but it's a good point to say that you've been, you've been up close with those kinds of people and you've seen the process of transformation when they go from being normal to just going into this different world.
1: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. But it, it, your thing about the marriage thing—it's that that concept. There's the concept of like, uh, you know, who is your whatever. Like, if circumstances change and it's Bon Jovi, well, of course, you know, I could have an affair with Bon Jovi. That's allowed because he's on my special whatever list they call. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so we'll try and get that meeting arranged, but I can't make any promises. But on the um, on the music front because there's a way into music from Jailbait, I think, because uh, uh, there was a great song, because I saw the trailer and I heard the tune. And um, um, Was that song written for your movie?
1: Are you talking about Earthlings, the Earthlings yeah. tune?
0: Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. No, that was just...
1: Uh, we, we did write some some original tracks for it with all those the people associated with it, so the people associated with it. So um, uh, Dave Ketching, who's in the Earthlings contributed to this part of the soundtrack that we uh, recorded out in Joshua tree at his recording studio. He's now got a tequila or, a, no, what is it? Um, the other thing, the thing that's made out of cactus. Uh, anyway, he's got a, uh, a brewery. A, no, you know, like the alcohol made from cactus.
0: Yeah. I don't know what the, uh, they,
1: or whatever it is. I don't know, whatever. He's got a, he's got some kind of distillery in that really cool recording space. So, that was actually probably my favorite part of, uh, of of making the the project was making the music.
0: Like I just never. Did you say you got about, to hang, you got to hang out at Rancho de la Luna? Yeah, we recorded at the Rancho. Yeah. Amazing, isn't that? That's that's like that's the Josh Hom you know Arctic Monkeys place, isn't it? It's A great studio. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did uh, we did tracks there. So we stayed out there for a couple of days and that's probably one of the best experiences of, of being around there is just being at that studio. There's like a piano and there's a bong on top of it and you, you record and then you open the door and then you just see cactus everywhere. I mean, it's, it was awesome. I mean, that really kind of felt like, you know, the music side is, is, uh, is something that was a big part of the project and my producer, uh, uh, Dana Anderson, AKA Digital D, I think he's going by Ranch Hand now, he lives out in Joshua Tree. He was uh, instrumental at bringing in all these really great musicians. Um, we had um, Scott Reeder, who uh, lives out in the desert, who uh, was um, you know in the band Caius, which became uh, Queens of the Stone Age. So all these guys just contributing music and putting their heart and soul into it. And you could tell it wasn't something like an actor, where this is something that's going to get me to the next. It was just the joy of the music, you know, yes. like, putting something yeah. together. That's like you know, hey, this is great. And this, you know, I'm going to give you this bass line. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And then we had uh, Pygmy Love Circus do some tracks. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was really, really
0: cool. I can never tell if there's a distinction between the musical community and the film community that you were describing in Hollywood, because I don't think it's the case that if you're like a great band, or if you're a great singer or songwriter, that one big break can, can make your career because I don't know what it is, but it's something like the, the you know, the con- consumers of music are so much more particular about what they want. They, 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 it's, you can't force things on them. You know, RMD Gary of course was in, um, uh, in his band Hilton in the early 2000s. And they were, you know, they were doing a, a deal with Sony records, uh, a two album deal and putting together the PR plan to get the music out there in front of the, in front of the, you know, the audience uh because that's what you've got to do you've got to just like blare the horns and be like here's the new thing everyone should listen to it and apparently the person doing the pr said i can guarantee that everyone will hear your record i can't guarantee that anyone will buy your record and so there seems to be this like reverse idea in the film side of things that it's like well if the right person puts you in the right film then you can just take it away
1: yeah yeah but i I would also say that um when you're, when people are fans of musicians, they're like super fans and you right. have fans for life, you know, like, um, you know, whereas, um, you know, I think we're a little harsher on uh, film stars or at least we want to yeah. see them. We sort of want to see them fall, you know, I was going to make one distinction about the England versus, uh, U S and Canada, which my wife and I are observing, uh, is that UK is big on shaming people. Wow.
0: Yeah, you know, that's I was
1: reading today. I'm a big fan of Alan, of uh, Alan Partridge, mm-hmm. but Steve Coogan, uh, you know, he put his, uh, his, uh, his, 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 his uh, cleaning staff on, uh, on the furlough program. And they, that's like, shame, shame. He shouldn't. And then, and then when you read the article, it's like with his pool and his, and his tennis court, you know, it's like they would never, that that wouldn't happen in North America. The shame or, or going up in a, um, in a, in a uh, drone to film the, the shameful people going for a seaside walk when they should be at home.
0: <laughs> what do you think that is? What's, what's, what's underneath that? <laughs> I don't know, but
1: I, I remember also uh, reading uh, or listening to a, a, an interview. Uh, I think it was Gary Oldman. It, it might've it might been Gary Oldman talking about how in, how in England, it's like crabs in a barrel. And the second a, a crab almost makes it out to become famous, claws come out and pull you back down and yes whereas
0: you know,
1: it, whereas, uh, you know in, 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 in America we I think we respect the process okay you're on your way you're going to be famous We don't want to pull you back and and take it all away from you
0: yeah I got this sense that um, well I don't know where the American dreams at right now I think it's it's having a bit of a crisis of confidence but I also think that America has a remarkable, habit of, boun- of bouncing back, to use an Alan Partridge phrase. You know, they always seem to restabilize. But the American dream was, it's like, well, you know, we don't mind who wins because it could be any one of us. It could be me, but it could also be you. But the fact that it's like a level playing field, such as it is, th- that's why we respect the process. But like you say, the bandwidth over here is so narrow. Until about 10 years ago, we only had two channels, not really 10 years ago, but you know what I mean? There's almost nowhere yeah. for anyone to get. So, yeah.
1: But you guys also have royalty. You either have the blood or you don't. Whereas America, we build our royalty. That's right. You know, in America, you've got, uh, you know, the Tom Hanks is your royalty, or whoever is, who's famous. That is, uh, your or royalty. your
0: fifth generation. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I, I noticed that over here we don't do that. In America, they count back the generations to see who is the most American. You know, sure. uh, we've been here <laughs> since the 1800s. You know, like the Kennedys. That's a royal family, isn't it? Yeah um, an example. Don't they
1: also in America, they say, you know, I got here with 25 cents in my pocket and look at what a success I am. People that's would exactly. love that. I mean, here it's like, I had two shillings. We'll get, you know, you're, yeah. you're your lower class. Get away from me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah really had Two shillings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's the thing you're right. And it's interesting that you brought up Steve Coogan when you said that we have, we really like shaming people. Um, Steve Coogan noticed, uh, He did a New York times interview, black and white to camera. Um, he said, "We really enjoy Schadenfreude. That's why all of our comedy characters are tragic failures: Alan Partridge, sure. Basil Fawlty, Captain Mannering, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. In America, you have sitcoms where the central characters are um, reasonably successful. I think we've said already uh, at one the point. Office. Yeah, The Office is a the great Office
1: example. Example like Steve, Steve Carell. Like I think um, uh, they said that they he was too much. They couldn't make him too much of a loser, or nobody would buy it. Yeah. So we would they in America, like uh, I think in America, we like the guy like Steve Coogan played him, where it's like, I'm successful b- despite the fact that I'm a loser. Whereas, yes. you know, uh, the uh, the British office, I think the, the place is always threatening to get shut down because of his incompetence, right?
0: Yeah. It's a very short lived wow. series by comparison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, the, the UK office is quite brutal uh, with just how bleak it is. Like, I can, I, I'm a fan of the series, of the of the UK series. And I think I go back to it about once every five years because it's so difficult to get through because it's so real to us. The dim fluorescent lighting and the grim overcast weather, you know, and every, yeah. But if you watch more, ma- well, I can't say more mainstream sitcoms than The Office, very mainstream. I mean, stuff like, if you watch things like Frasier, if you watch things like Rules of Engagement, even stuff like New Girl, more recent stuff, everyone's like super rich, like not super, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, I'm watching New Girl at the moment, um, to my shame, perhaps I should say. Uh, everyone's my age in it, so it's sort of 27 to 32, and they just live in the biggest LA apartment you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, you never see they're any working at a of-
1: coffee shop. They're working at a coffee shop.
0: Like Friends, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, and, and whereas like we talked about peep show, losers.
0: Yes, 100%, the biggest losers you've ever seen.
1: You wouldn't want to see those guys in America. You want to see people that are like, oh, he's got this pitching apartment and he's complaining that he just got laid off as an intern. And you, like you, I Google, like. so my wife was watching some show, I forget what it's called, but it's one of these, they have this thing, a faux reality show in in the States where it's shot. Like it's like, uh, like it's, it's real, but they're, it's completely fake.
0: Is this like the Kardashians type thing?
1: Yeah. Kardashians, but there's other ones. Uh, uh, the Hills was one, there was a show called the Hills where it's just like, it's shot like a, like, it's like they took the concept of the, um, of the uh, British office where you, you kind of wink to camera, but it's like, and they made it look like oh like my wife thought it was a real show but then i'm like well let's google that apartment that she lives in okay so that's 3.2 million it's 35,000 a month to rent and she's wow. an intern yeah. or a photographer which let's look google that oh so she'd be making 500 bucks a month do you not think that they're that's <laughs> And insane. i was like look at that lighting it's meant to look like oh we're just stumbling upon this restaurant conversation but do you know how much staff is around to make that look the way it looks to make it look effortless.
0: So, so it's almost like you're describing there's, there's there's actually a fake reality thing in American entertainment as such. And I, I'm kind of trying to, yeah, maybe see what you think is going on underneath that. So obviously you noticed under our, under our entertainment is the idea that we don't want anyone to get ahead. And if they do, we try and keep them back. So everyone's at our miserable British level. Whereas in America, it's like they're so willing to see success that they will completely fake it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Why is that? You, I mean, it's a big question, but what do you think?
1: I just think like you are going back to the American dream. Like we want to know we want to think, we want to believe that it's possible.
0: Yeah. That it and could I be think us.
1: everything all if you all advertising all kind of everything that's, you know, that that you sort of believe in as you do your daily life is 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 that that's a reality that, you know, that today's your day.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, and and that's something you've really lived. Um, So uh, um, there's a, let's, let's get some, let's get some of this, uh, some of the music stuff in, and then we'll um, go back to what the future holds for you and what you're on, what you're on on course for now. So, because you've, you've been around some, some, you know, you've been around a really cool music scene, but I don't know about your actual music taste or how important it is to you. how, How much of a feature of your life is it?
1: Oh, huge. I mean, like I said, I'm just, uh, I'm just a bystander. I had a bass. I bought a Getty Lee bass at one point. I tried to riff away and I've had, you know, an acoustic guitar, but no, I kind of realized that's not going to become a career. Uh, so I'm just love being around the process of the music and I love uh, like the process of recording it. And I relate to musicians. Like I, I like the whole, I like that the fact that they're always trying to, you know, perfect their skill and it's yeah. something that uh, they've got a drive for So I respect the drive and, yeah, just uh, I would, in, in terms of doing film stuff, because that's something that I still have a passion for. I'm just newly inspired working on a, a film right now, Mancopolis using the technology that I have. Uh, originally, we were to be servicing a, a, a TV show, but uh, that's been put on hold. So instead, we're kind of generating some content to build tools. And I'm newly inspired of the whole process. And again, like, music's a big part. What's what's the track that's playing? What, what's the track that's playing when I'm writing it? What's the track that's in the scene? And, you know, I, I think music's, and cutting, editing to music, you know, I guess, you know, that's kind of uh, music to me in a way. So I think uh, for me, the, you know, continuing on that trend, and I think my tastes are pretty eclectic. I like, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, from R&B to, to metal to you know, all disco. I like like everything. So I think, um, you know, that's a big, a big part is, 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 uh, you know, the music,
0: music's always playing. Is there a single record you can think of that's been really important to you in your life? And it might, it might not even be for an obvious reason. For some reason, what's going on, Marvin Gaye, always just goes straight into front of mind when I get asked that question.
1: Uh, I think the Sex Pistols, uh, Nevermind the Bullocks was a big album that uh, really was influential to me. But again, like there's always like soundtracks of, the moment so there's summers where you know uh you know that's the summer we were listening to the, the tragically hip or we were listening to uh you know that was the one where we we all got into marley you know and that was playing that was the when that u2 album came out I remember my brother got into the car accident i can remember the u2 track come like he was distracted because because uh, there was a u2 song that that you know like so so music's always kind of you know kind of been there um and, and one other observation of just about thinking about the, uh, the music and the seasons in LA versus something that Canada and England shares. Um, so in Canada you have many seasons, right? You have the winter of your discontent, the summer of the tragically hip, the spring when my dad died, you know, you have these kinds of things that you can kind of, when you pace out your life, you can kind of, you know, um, you know, they're kind of moments and you can kind of, uh, look at your life as a, as like, you know, hit fit, hitting those different, you know, uh, those, those different time notes, but in LA, it's just one sunny day after the next. Yes. So, so I remember there was a guy when I drove to work and, uh, you know, he had the license plate, uh, H eight, M Y X hate my ex. So, I mean, he's never going to get out of He obviously went to the DMZ DMZ and got that DMV and got that plate. It's on his car every day. He walks out with his coffee and makes. Bitch, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so there's a guy who will never get out of that headspace. There's no summer that I hated my ex. It's just one continuous sunny day. I never hating. thought
0: about that. Yeah, so it's like, so I get it. I get what you're saying. Actually, you associate things with the seasons in which they happen, and they become forever. There's like a There's forever. There's a, a shadow of it when you go through that season again. I know exactly where you're getting at. And so there's and the a music
1: problem. fits that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a soundtrack and you've got a backdrop. But you, uh, it sounds like in LA, that backdrop is just the same forever, and so uh, Macaulay Culkin said that on Joe Rogan. I think he says yeah. you live in LA, and you can just live there for five years without realizing it because it's the same season all year round. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was just a little thought that I had about that.
0: Yeah. Mm. Um, so you said you like never mind the bollocks. Yeah. What was, was that something that your parents were not fond of, or was there anything that your parents didn't like you listening to?
1: Well, so the Nevermind the Bollocks was just something that was played sort of because it had naughty words on it. So it yeah. was sort of a naughty, a naughty, naughty. So it was just a, a surprise that music could be like that. I think my first 45 was, yes, uh, Owners of a Lonely Heart. So I really liked that sort of, you know, uh, those, I remember buying the 45s and, uh, and, um, You know, we would listen in the basement. My parents didn't really take notice of the music, actually. So I I went through a big Grateful Dead phase where I went and went to a lot of dead shows, which was really cool. That's a whole scene. I don't know if you you guys were aware of it, but people going to dead shows and, uh, you know, dropping acid and watching the shows and touring with the dead. I I went to, I mean, not that many shows, but a a few shows. I I like that sort of counterculture lifestyle. So any music associated with a counterculture, I would get into. I was into the Doors and I'd read the Doors uh, biography and kind of like, what else? Oh, there's Jefferson Airplane, the 60s. So I've always kind of been interested in those scenes. And uh, and then I, when I was in LA, I lived in Laurel Canyon, which is a famous place for music. So, you know, the Doors lived there. That's where Love Street is. And that's where... So there, there's the music is sort of a a vibe uh, uh, that's that, that, um, got a lot of history in LA. It's, mm-hmm. it's exciting.
0: What, what are, um, You're a parent, aren't you?
1: I am. I have two kids, yeah.
0: And how old are they, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Seven and nine.
0: Right, and what kind of stuff are they listening to? Does that leave you completely perplexed, or are they un- it- it going after your records, or what?
1: No, they pretty much listen to all this crap, you know, like the uh, all the teeny bopper kind of stuff. Um, you know One Direction and you know uh, but it is funny that my younger daughter picks up tunes that obviously we're listening to and she'll mimic it pretty well and you'll be like wow how did she sort of you know it'll be some kind of uh, a lyric that's really poignant and she'll repeat it and it's like you know oh okay she's seven but she's not I don't think she's absorbing it but that's
0: you know. It's strange to hear it coming out of the mouths of babes. Yeah. yeah Yeah. uh you're obviously you're a film guy um what's the best sync moment the best moment that music was synced to uh, a film or a scene or even an advert it's a big question Uh, but yeah
1: yeah let me think um there's been a lot of those that i've thought oh this they nailed it um i mean tarantino's pretty classic tarantino and scorsese
0: are the big two yeah
1: so when the when the guy's ear cut gets cut off and the guy's bopping away to that was a pretty interesting stuck in the middle
0: with you Steeler's wheel
1: and now if that tune comes on I can't get that scene out That's so you it. know what I mean how the two get married together and uh, it's it was an eclectic kind of you know connection but I think yeah forever forever uh, the soundtrack and uh, and I've always liked like. Um, the Sopranos when they had the John Cooper Clark song on, on it, that, that was pretty cool. And, uh, I, I do like, although it's become kind of a, you know, uh, a, it's kind of a overused thing to, for the filmmaker to, to put his eclectic collection on a movie, but I still think that it, if it's done well, it's great, Yeah. but, you know, but you don't want to be, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it just like a copycat i guess so it's a fine line
0: i think uh directors there's a few things with the tarantino example that you mentioned uh i think the direct a lot of directors dream of breaking out a track that they synced to a scene they made it big and then correspondingly an artist always obscure artists always uh, like dream of the moment that their song will get picked by this unknown filmmaker. And then both those things will be launched into the stratosphere. <laughs> yeah. Cause now, Cause you know, yeah, I bet. you. Well, would-
1: another one is, um, nine inch nails and, uh, natural born killers. Oh, right. Yeah. That was a really, that natural born killers had a lot of good stuff. So that's another thing that's cool about music. Like I didn't know about, uh, uh, what's his name? Nusat Fatih Alakan, the guy that does the, uh, the like the um, the Indian kind of chanty music yeah. that was in um, in uh, Natural Born Killers, and I would never have listened to that kind of music, but it, it fit so well because they had the Indian theme and the you know they were demons and that song came on and and now I listen to that so now a new music that I like would never have gotten into it without uh, without that in, on on that movie.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's um it's magic when that happens when you when. Uh, a film comes into your life, and then a choice that they made in production opens up this new avenue to you, new avenue of stuff that you know you would never have been listening to. Um, cool. And I think, as well, to talk about those kind of directors, if you're, or, you know, Tarantino is very much a writer director. Um, and if you're at that level, or if you're like Aaron Sorkin. Who's you know yeah. one of the most fantastically successful screenwriters, or yeah. if you are very likely Nora Ephron did this as well. Um, if you're at that level, that you write the music choices into the script, and, and you'll then get, you'll it, get them. Whereas it won't be
1: most it like <laughs> no, no, exactly. Then song plays that sounds like, or an actor that's like this guy.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, and that's what so much of the time will you'll get these young filmmakers who think it's that easy because all their favorite films just have songs in them. And they'd be like, well, it's probably like a few grand to put it on or pay them. And then yes, you'll get people coming to us and saying, can you get this? I- I've used this anecdote before on, on the podcast. Can you get this Paul Simon track for us? And they asked for half a million for an advert. Sure. So, you know, but again, if you're at that level, like your music budget for a Tarantino film will be a multi-million, like just pot for all of the sync points. So... um, but, but it probably
1: works both ways. I can hear. I can just picture the conversation between the two agents. Yeah. Hey, he wants to use this track, or he could use this track. This track is going to, you know, get your back catalog out there. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. And so, so there's, there's a negotiation of, uh, of 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 benefit.
0: Yeah, they can get the price down based on what it will do for your artist.
1: Yeah, because you could you could probably track. Hey, you know when X Y use this song. You know their career uh, went off. Uh, you know what I mean? Like,
0: oh, hundred percent, yeah. And it does happen. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people get launched by um, by commercials, in particular. Uh, we had uh, a campaign. We were in the running to be uh, supervising all the music for the obviously coronavirus got in the way, uh, amongst other things. But uh, we put this track forward by a relatively unknown artist called Anna of the North, and uh, you know it was kind of it was just it was met with a kind of not sure. It's just not really grabbing my attention, you know, next. And then, uh, last month, uh, Apple synced it to their iPad commercial and it's just sent her career into overdrive. <laughs> and so everyone dreams of being that supervisor. Um, what, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, questions to go through that you kind of already answered in a roundabout way, but one thing I'm particularly interested to go back for um is to i always try and get a word in for aspirational youngins people who are you know uh looking for a career in film in tv and in advertising and you went you went to the table you know and played a few hands and what's your advice for the young people uh who are going to go and do the same thing people who after lockdown are going to go move to hollywood and try their try their hand at the game what would you say to them just to manage their expectations
1: um I don't know cuz here's another funny thing. The first time I went to Hollywood, which was in 1994, okay? And I was broke. I lived in San Francisco, raised like I don't know. I don't know. I, I had a valet parking gig. You there I lost you
0: there for a second right I lost you after I had a valet parking gig
1: <laughs> okay so I raised a bunch of money drove to Hollywood this is like you know I was 21 uh drove my pickup truck to the top of the up to, to the Hollywood Hills where you can see every the light the lights and you know I was like oh yeah you know I'm gonna sleep in here of course cops came and uh you know gave me a ticket and uh, uh anyways I, I ended up living uh in a trailer in Malibu and you know um a few months into it, I was so impatient, uh, getting to your point about the, the uh, what you should do. Um, so I was on my way out of Hollywood. So I got an agent, I was had an acting agent, but things weren't happening because I was there for three months and I was like, what the hell, why am I not famous? Yeah. So my, the last commercial on the day, I think my car was packed, my truck was packed up and I was out of there. I walk in and I booked uh, a Lee Jeans commercial that played for a year. I, I made eighty grand off of it. Whoa! And I got flown first class from uh, L.A. to Miami or up uh, to um, Florida. It was shot at uh, Disney World. And I remember thinking at the time, "Oh yeah, of course. This is this is what happens."
0: Now I'm it. Uh, I'm the guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is it. And, and then I was getting residual checks for like a thousand bucks in the mail. I was like, "Oh yeah, okay. This played, a, you know, great. You know, just." A, so, of course, you know, it took a good 10 years that, you know, nothing happened that until I moved back to L.A., which would have been. No, actually, so I moved back to L.A. in 2001 where the whole um, the GL Bay, the U.S.C. thing happened. But all I'm saying is that I remember at the time, every three months, if something wasn't happening, I was moving to another city. Yeah. And I, I was just saying that it, it takes a long time. So to be patient and to, like, don't worry about going back to fundamentals. So like, I was a terrible actor at the time. I didn't know anything. So I just, you know, uh, scripts, like it just didn't take anything seriously. But I think if I dug in my heels at the time and like, you know, um, uh, you know, like if say you go to an acting class or something and workshop, and I really stuck at it and thought of it as a craft and not something that was just gonna be handed to me, Mm -hmm. then, um, then I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with my journey. It's been up, down, all around. I've done lots of stuff. But I just mean, if you're really serious about being successful at something, whether it be screenwriting, acting, directing, or all of them, I think you really got to, like, realize that you don't know anything. Yeah. Which is really hard to, to do. Like, if you told me that at 21, I would have been like, dude, I just booked, you know, I'm the lead jeans guy. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I've made it. Like Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Whereas so, so – Oh, go ahead. Are you saying there's also a level of if you're pursue if you're satisfied with the craft itself? So if you're one of the you know the actor studio types who loves the the profession of the theatre, then you'll have a rich life acting. And yeah. then if you become a star, you'll you'll also be satisfied. But if you just set out for the stardom and you're not in the craft at all, and you're you're not in you know you're not there for the love of the job, then then you're less likely to have satisfaction.
1: Yeah, I would say so. And like, I think it's hard looking from an outsider to realize that it's a formula, like screenwriting as a formula, the acting craft is, you know, that these are like, skilled get jobs. Whereas I think you watch a movie and think that the actors are just saying these things that are coming to them at the time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you just think, I can do this. Like, this is stupid. Like, yeah. uh, I should be a star because I can just but then you, you know, real, and then you'll see like a lot of the, well, if you follow like anyone's journey, you'll see there's been ups and downs. You can get lucky and then drop, drop back down. But if you're really talented and have the drive, you'll come back up and be better the next time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, hap- there's that, you know, there are a few star cases where that happens as well. And they're like Mickey Rourke. He went down quite, in quite a big way, didn't he? And then shot back up.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it does happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, or even like John Travolta, jeez. Like he yeah. was, you know, like Tarantino kinda gave him a second career there. So yeah. yeah.
0: So was he was he like persona non grata before Pulp Fiction, sort of after Yeah, so
1: he was doing like Look Who's Talking To and like he was just sort of like a cheesy actor and then it's like, you know, like it's like you picture someone like half a whole burger thing and like if Tarantino had selected him for the right role, you'd be you wouldn't be thinking of him as like oh, the Baywatch guy, you'd be thinking of him like, oh, yeah, that's Hasselhoff. Like, you know what I mean? Yep, or yep. or um, another one is Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights. Yes. He was on his way out, like, doing crap. And then he even thought, I think he thought that movie was BS when he was doing that.
0: Yeah. And how many times has that happened? Um, famously, Alec Guinness thought Star Wars was the worst thing he'd ever been involved in when he was making it, but...
1: Yeah, you're like, there's no trailer. I yeah. don't understand what I'm saying. There is, you know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah and then uh you know became fantastically wealthy because i think uh, i think sir alec guinness negotiated a percentage of all of star wars profits in perpetuity or something so wow. <laughs> as his payment yeah. so he did all right yeah. um but uh yeah okay so why don't we wrap up by you telling us the the, the future what, what what the plans are because i know you've mentioned a bit about you you know hollywood and then got into vr and then you come over here to try and make things work with a few key clients and then where are you going what's 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 the forward momentum taking you with?
1: Yeah, so we, we've, we're, we've got uh, our technology being evaluated soon by the NHS. So for the medical business, that's a big reason why I'm over here is because it's a huge mark, market for us, over 200 hospitals. would so be a great uh, revenue. Um, uh, and then on the film production side, so we've got this VR mixed reality camera where you can film your movie, put on a VR headset. And I'm kind of living it right now where I have a motion capture suit that I can put on and the camera can pick up my face. So I'm an actor in the scene. So I can act out the part and then play that in VR. And then I have a virtual camera. I can film that myself as the actor and get shots and keep repeating the process. And then I've got a few actors uh, from Coronation Street uh, to tapped for this uh, little proof of concept that I'm doing film. So they're gonna act on Zoom and then I'm gonna put their performances on what I'm acting out in my living room. and it's sort of that concept during this lockdown of like, can you build something uh, and um, you know, uh, from home? And 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 what I'm seeing the trend with, with motion capture technology is kind of like voiceover, where a lot of voiceover artists like, you know, uh, Hank Azari I believe lives in New Orleans and just kind of gets his, puts his, Simpsons characters, he just sends it over and they piece it together in Hollywood. But he doesn't have to go to Hollywood to do those recordings. Wow! Motion capture is kind of like that. You could put on my mocap suit. I could be directed by a video game company, and I could basically, you know, put something in their pipeline without having to go to the studio. So I'm seeing that as a new trend, and I think that this timing, this whole thing happening, and me still being able to build the tools, um, I see that as kind of the future. So. Um, I think that's where I'm going. And now I'm talking to some studios about how the stuff that I'm doing fits in, could fit into their pipeline. So similar how you guys with the editing and, you know, the, the content on TV and trying to still get those production pipelines and get that production values up so that it can be broadcast quality. I'm trying to do that with tools that you could do at home and the way the technology is going now it 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 seems very possible.
0: So you think well, you know, I've spoken with a few people who're saying that we're entering in a new era of uh, working from home. I I I sigh because I just hate the fact that everyone's making prophecies about the new world and we've been in we've been in coronavirus land for 8 8 weeks. It's been nothing at all. So It's just frustrating me that people are starting to say, this is it now, this is us forever, 10 years of this. Anyway, point is, people have been saying a lot more working from home, but it sounds like you're saying that acting from home is going to be a new gig. Exactly, yeah. And I look at
1: my brother, there's a banker. He's like on a plane every day of the week trying to close deals. I think that kind of thing's going to go away. You know, travel would be so crazy. So there is a new norm. But I think, you know, uh, shooting productions, uh, you know, having something that you're working on from home being part of a, a regular production pipeline and all that kind of stuff. I think it's all for the better. Yeah. This is the concept of working at home they had pitched to us a long time ago.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I, I like the idea uh, of saving a load of money and a load of uh, emissions by flying all over the place just to do what we're doing here. When we can now do it over Zoom, and why shouldn't we? You could argue that um, that it's taken a crisis to get through it because it's effectively like taking an axe to the to the sort of the, the base of the airline industry and then you know to the to the tech video companies go with the spoils so yes. it's like that's the kind of rebalancing that's, that looks like it's happening but um,
1: but at the same time look at environmental right so like exactly. what they're doing down in Deansgate where I live uh, walking up to the grocery store they've now because of separation uh, because of social distancing. They've closed off, well, you live down there, they closed off a lot of streets now. So if you wanna walk up to M&S, there's like many streets that no longer have cars on them anymore. And what's happening, like now all that pollution is leaving, it's now the planet's cleaner. So when they say, oh, the, the world, uh, the, the planet's uh, screwed, well, the planet's healing right now because of all the less carbon emissions. So what are we gonna do? Oh, well, let's get right back to, you know, yeah, F- yeah. FTW, you know, like, no, I think that there, there's going to be some, some good stuff that comes out of this. Like,
0: yes. Yeah. I'm with you there. And and yeah, so I'm hoping for more video conferencing because that would just, for me as just someone who seeks out new business leads, that would be a tremendous load off. If we could just do a few of these and have proper meetings instead of, you know, for me in Manchester for ages, it's been, oh, I'm coming down to London in two weeks. Can I possibly meet with you? Oh, can you check with me nearer the time? Whereas now it's like, can you do a Zoom meet at three? Yeah, sure. I can do that. So I hope for that. And I hope for more um, more cycling. Uh, if you live in a city like this, uh, it took COVID-19 for me to think I could cycle to the office in 20 minutes. Why haven't I been yeah. doing that? So. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: And in my more wild moments, in, I because I, I, I know nothing about, policy planning or anything. So I'm just an average moron, but I still like to occasionally think, why don't they just stop all car travel in city centers unless you've got a permit, like you deliver stuff and it's a sure. uh, public transport. Or, or city an city ambulance. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So um, who knows? But uh, I'm certainly hoping that you'll see some, some. Uh, you know, I hope this this venture goes well for you in the the new acting from home business. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll leave it there and uh, we'll pick it up again another time. Maybe you could show us a demo of the the suits and the and what you've made with it and the the, the VR um, production.
1: Love to, yeah, love
0: to. Cool. All right. Well, I look forward to speaking to you then.
1: All right. Thanks, Greg.